Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out the Spain and Fitz podcast. Remember, you get all sorts of exclusive content here all the time. So you want to make sure that you subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, family, enemies, everybody to check us out every single night. In the meantime, heck of a show with some big, strong thoughts tonight, especially around the world of Major League Baseball. Be sure to check it out. Thanks so much for checking us out in general. Some surprising news this afternoon. It had been rumored but most people didn't believe it to the point that one White Sox fan said she would run naked and drunk through her neighborhood if the White Sox actually pulled the trigger on hiring Tony LaRusso. Well, tweet is bond, girlfriend, so take it off. Let's see. You said it. It's Peyton Fitz. Sarah Payne, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, yeah, that was the surprising news. We're going to get a lot of guests on today to talk about the White Sox hire, the Justin Turner investigation. We're going to talk about all the latest basketball news, all sorts of stuff. You can also be a part of the show by joining Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation's presented by Dr. Pepper. It's official. College football's back, and so is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today. Jason Fitz, Sarah Spain with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. And Fitz, I already unloaded the tank on Around the Horn today, right after I went off last night on this show. So it's been a wild week already. I I mean, I I legit saw the news come across, and I thought, well, that's strange. And then started reading (laughs) and thinking and reading and thinking. And I'm like, what, are people trying to get us, like, ignited before the show? Because you know we're going to (laughs) go off on this, Sarah. But the first question before we get to any of it is, if your friend had sent the tweet the you know promising to do crazy things do you hold them accountable to it because i feel like like <laughs> life one of your life lessons here has to be never make a, a a statement without both sides of it like if this happens i'll do this if it doesn't happen you'll do that like that you need to have the 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 balance on this so just to say i would do that if this happens like i kind of would make i think i'd make my friend do it i'd make my friend i mean listen i say this every time every time some radio shock jock says if the cleveland whatever win i'm going to eat horse poop or I'm going to eat crow, like a literal, literal bird. Like, anytime someone does that, I go, why do they do this? Like, why? If there's even an infinitesimal, tiny little possibility that they are going, that, that like, what you're saying comes true, don't put it out there. So, listen, I don't know this girl, Courtney. I don't, I don't know her well enough to actually force her to run down the street drunk and naked. Uh, I'm more messing around. But that's how unbelievable this was to people, Fitz, that they would hire a 76-year-old manager who was already put in the Hall of Fame, which, by the way, baseball takes very seriously, that you must be at the end of your managerial career. There's a five-year waiting period. He promised he wasn't coming back. And I don't even really care about that. You're allowed to change your mind later in life and go back to something that you love if you really want. It's the nine-year hiatus. It's the uh, anti-advanced statistics. It's the play the game the right way, a.k.a. the white way. Uh, unwritten rules of baseball stuff. It's the anti-social justice movement. No kneeling, no talking. It's a history that just doesn't seem like a fit for a young, exciting, swaggy, bat-flipping, Latino, and black, and Chicago-based team. It just doesn't fit. The only thing that fits is that Larusa is a longtime friend of Reinsdorf, who has said for a long time that he very deeply regrets having let GM Hawk Harrelson fired him back in 1986. Well, Went on to win a couple titles, became the third winningest manager in the history of baseball, and he looks back and says, I should have kept him. That doesn't mean you hire him now when the culture is not who this guy is. It's, it, 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 I, I don't understand it. I, I feel like no matter what their business is, no matter what company you run, at some point you have to acknowledge that 
standards and practices have changed and hiring practices have changed over the last several years. And what we demand of the people we hire is at a higher level now than it, it used to be. And we live in a world where anytime a player is being considered for a high draft pick in any sport, it's not uncommon for, for example, private investigators to be hired to find everything out about their background and try and really suss out who this human being is. I don't understand why we put that emphasis on the players, but not on the managers that are being hired to run said players. And then the other side of it is, obviously, you point out personality, which I think is one of the biggest wins that Major League Baseball has had throughout the course of this truncated season, is the opportunity to really buy into the energy, not only of a shortened season where every game matters more, but also of the players that are playing the game, the young people that are actually making it a lot of fun to talk about baseball, to watch baseball. I found myself watching more baseball this year than I ever have, and part of that was because of the youth movement that just felt electric. It felt different. I don't know why an organization would choose to take what feels like a step back and hiring somebody that frankly won't be able to relate in my mind easily. And the, the, the easiest analogy I can make is when's the last time you sat at the Thanksgiving table with your old grandpa and thought, man, he came out and said, you know, I've really been rethinking things and I was wrong about a lot of this. Like there's sort of a stuck in your ways moment that is at least part of the perception of Tony La Russa. I don't know what they've seen that would make them think that will change enough to help him relate to young players and also prove that he isn't who people think he is in that locker room, which he'll lose quickly if he is the person that we're being told he is. Yeah, and Fitz, today, he backtracked on a lot of things that people were were concerned about culture-wise, but I want to listen very carefully to how he says this. So let's start with today, White Sox manager, Tony La Russa, on players expressing themselves and having fun. I always reasoned it that if it's sincere, I didn't have a problem with it. And what I see now is that with players that are being more exuberant, I take... Uh, you know, Anderson, Tim Anderson, for an example. Uh, now it's it's people showing that, hey, I'm coming through. Uh, in fact, Major League Baseball is, in, is, in, in, uh, is encouraging them to do so. And if I see that it's sincere and it's directed towards the game, that's displaying, displaying the kind of emotion that you want. You know, as a, as a coach, what you want to do is you want to get players passionately involved with the competition. And if you do that, that's how you, you get exciting games, you're entertaining. So the fact that now that we're encouraging players to be more expressive, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to treat like Tim, for example, part of the family. And, uh, and you know, the only thing I say, and, and some of the people I talk to, if, if, if your team celebrates and that their team celebrates, then neither team can be upset when, when, when you see celebrations, as long as everybody's doing it sincerely. Okay, so he starts with, if it's sincere, I don't have a problem with it. Of course, Tim's okay, because, you know, that's that's the guy I'm going to have to make sure likes me. And then he ends it again with, if it's sincere. Here he is again, addressing 2016 comments he made about kneeling, which, by the way, he doubled down on in February of this year. So those 2016 comments were things he held on to at least until this February, if not longer. I know in 2016, when the first issue occurred, uh, my initial instincts were all about you know, respecting the flag and the anthem and, the, you know, what America stands for. There's been a lot goes on in a very healthy way since 2016. And uh, not only do I respect, but I applaud the uh, awareness that's come into not just society, but especially in sports. If you talk about specifically baseball, uh, I applaud and would support the fact that they were, are now addressing, identifying the injustices uh, especially on the racial side. Uh, and as long as it's P 
peacefully protested and sincere. And what I'm, what I'm learning more and more, like with the Players Alliance, and especially with the White Sox, when your protests actually have action-oriented uh, results, way that you're going to impact to make things better, I'm all for it. Okay, so here we are again with Sincere. And if you go back and listen to him on the Levitard show back in 2016, he said that Colin Kaepernick wasn't sincere, that he was all about himself until he got benched, and now it's about this. Sincere, sincere, sincere. And I understand that to many people out there, it might sound like just picking at semantics fits, but that stands out to me as incredibly insulting. That to me is someone saying, I don't really believe that there's an issue out there. But if someone's really sincere and they think there is, then maybe I'll consider it. I don't really believe that these guys who are playing with swagger and celebrating are sincere about it. But if I think it is, then I'll be. To me, it's a I know everything and I'm in charge of deciding whether that's allowed or not. And the fact that he would question the impetus and the reason behind protests, behind heartfelt and painful claims and asks and demands for equality and justice it's just gross to me. It's so myopic. It's so my view of the world is the only thing that's real. So anyone who says the world is different than how I see it isn't being sincere. And it's alarmingly insincere to not acknowledge what he said in February of this year. I think that's yeah. the other part of it. Like he, he talked about 2016, but what I would love to know is what he's seen and how it's affected him. Obviously, this has been a very, uh, very eye-opening summer for a lot of people, and I get that. But I want to hear him talk about that, and I want to hear how that's impacted him, why it's made his thought process different since February of this year. And to not address that and address what's changed in him this year makes me question his sincerity the same way he obviously is questioning other sincerity, which is a difficult and slippery slope, Sarah. And I'll say this. My least favorite apology in the world is when somebody says, I'm sorry if what I said made yeah. you feel that way well then you're not really sorry and uh, that that's what it feels like we're getting right here we're going to talk more about tony larissa who by the way third win third all-time winningest manager in baseball hall of famer like obviously has the credentials but this is uh, about fit at some point and it's a real question mark i haven't seen a single white Sox fan excited about this hire not a single one what's coming out of here locally is pretty serious uh disappointment we'll get to that a little bit more uh, uh later but we're gonna get into 30s thursday night football next because we got um falcons panthers tonight a rematch from earlier this season we'll see who you got tonight it's next it's spain and fit sarah spain jason fitz espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 guest join us on the shell penzo performance line jason goff member of the uh former spain and company crew gonna join us later to talk about yeah. also jeff passing on that and Justin Turner and the investigation, that's going to be good, too. You, yeah? you are fully capable of fighting your own arguments. You don't need me to step in. And I get that. But can I just I just have to go off on this for a second. Like, you have so many awards and so many accomplishments for your broadcasting and for your journalism. And for anybody to think that a bias against a team is a reason that you would come in and rail on a hire that's absolutely absurd is asinine to me. Like, yeah, there is some level of professionalism. That's just how I roll, too. Like, I'm not going to – if some, they hired someone great, I'm not going to rag on it because I don't like the team. Like, that's that's putting my reputation on the line for something I don't even care about. Like, that doesn't even make sense. The, the ignorance of Twitter sometimes surprises me. Yeah, and, and all look, it doesn't surprise me. I, I, I'll, I'll say is this. Everybody knows I'm a Raiders fan, right? When one of the teams I hate makes a move that is bad, I laugh at it, but I still do my job. Like, we're yeah. all here to do yeah. a job professionally. Right. That's yeah. just... Just hacks me off, Sarah. I'm fired up today. <laughs> yeah, we're all fiery. It's yeah. a fiery week. Uh, ESPN <laughs> Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive, celebrating eight years of donating cars to veterans in need. Learn more at keystoprogress.com. Before we get to Thursday Night Football, it's interesting, Fitz, that you just proclaimed your loyalty to me, and I appreciate that. And I know most of the time, you know, you're a ride or die. 
Except when you decide to cheat on me with another show. And when you do that and you just completely forget about our radio marriage, uh, this is what it sounds like when that happens. Side piece fits. I feel like I've made it then. Like, that feels like that, that's good. <laughs> but, you know, but we got to wait till Mike's far enough away because he is much larger than I am, Janae. So, like, I got to make sure that I'm safe. But as long as you got my back, I'm all in for that. Oh, oh, so is this, uh, <laughs> we're just worried about if Mike Golick Jr. is going to have a problem with you being Chanae's radio mistress? I, I no mention we... of your radio wife. Like, I just don't exist. And also, I am bigger than you, too. And I could absolutely take you out. So the fact that you're only worried about her radio husband and not your radio wife is a problem. Okay, so you are you are not incorrect. And as I was thinking, as I was saying it, I was thinking, ah, ah, I hope Sarah's not listening right now. Oh, but, you know, well, let, let's face it. always listening. Like, that is, that is always also. Listening. But let's remember, I mean, I think it is important to at least note that I have this video. This is, this. see, I, I came with, with something else. Listen to this promo at the end. You know, I'm, I'm yelling. When when Shanae says, I don't know what show's coming up next, I yelled repeatedly. I don't know what comes on Spain after this. Fits. I really don't know. Spain <laughs> That's got to count for something. I mean, that's me professing my love for my my radio wife. There we go. For your show. You're right. For your show okay, that's fair. Your wife. I am. I'm just. I am dug into this. Like, yeah. there's no way. Somebody careful, save me. Because that mistress is not respecting the sanctity of your radio marriage. She is acting like she doesn't even know it exists, which is absolutely what a mistress does. So you know, keep that in mind. I just want you to keep that in mind. <laughs> um, also, keep in mind Thursday night football tonight. You may think to yourself, the Falcons, the Panthers. I'm good. But let me ask you, do you have anything else to watch tonight in the way of NFL? Are there any other options? No. So we're going to get into it here. We're going to get into some Thursday night football. And I will tell you, Fitz, there are some interesting aspects of this matchup. Particularly, I think it's going to be closer than some people think. Um, They faced each other earlier in the year. The Panthers got the win. But Julio Jones was not out there. And if you look at some of the numbers, the Panthers' pass rush is decimated by injury. They have sort of a prevent defense, zone defense thing working for them that gives up a lot of long drives, big plays. So you pair Julio Jones and Matt Ryan out there, and suddenly it looks a little bit different. Of course, the Falcons are still probably going to blow it, and probably in a dramatic fashion. But I don't know that the Panthers are so perfect as to be immune to the ways that the Falcons tend to get up on teams and look like they're in a position to win before they blow it. I do love, by the way, the new Thursday Night Football slogan, because you don't have anything else to watch. That's yeah. just what it says underneath. Perfect. Because yeah. we're your only option. But no, you're not wrong about this. I, I think I would feel differently, obviously, if Christian McCaffrey was able to play yeah. by some miracle. We all know that's not going to happen at this well, point. they're going to save him, and it's probably for the best anyway. Save him for their matchup with the Chiefs. They're, they have a couple really big matchups coming up. I think they could probably handle the Falcons without him, so why push it? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. This is going to be all about offense, obviously. We know that. And, and I still think that as the season goes on, Matt Ryan is a quarterback that is absolutely just being drugged through the mud, dragged through the mud at this point. Uh, both. Both, yeah. He's he's going through the mud at this point, and there's all this <laughs> speculation that he's one foot out the door and the Falcons are going to get rid of him. I mean, Matt Ryan, I think, is still incredibly capable of playing at a very high level. So I expect as the season is going to go on to see more and more of that, and I still think the talent – matters here even though this is a team that figures out a way to blow it consistently they are more talented than carolina is at this point carolina is in what was supposed to be complete rebuild they're just ahead of schedule i love matt rule i love what he's going to do with this team i love
love what he can do with the franchise. I understand that he's building a team that's really competing in his image. I get all of the cliches on it. But when I when it comes down to pure talent, the Falcons are a better football team right now. And you're right, Carolina is decimated with injuries. So I think Atlanta is going to come out and just remind the world that while their record says they're trash, they've been on all these games. I think they can win this one. Uh, it's dragged. A lot of people say drug. It's not correct. It is just dragged. So now we've all learned something together here. Um, I agree with you for the most part. I will say that that Falcons defense is suspect as hell. They've allowed the most yards per play in the league and the second most overall. You can put numbers on them. And so that aspect of that team, that phase, has just been disastrous. Um, You look at something like last week where, of course, Todd Gurley's mistake was a massive one. But if you don't let the Lions and Stafford go 80-plus yards or whatever it is in the last minute of the game, then it doesn't matter as much that Gurley accidentally scored there. They needed to get a stop, and they couldn't. And that's going to be something that's you know re- reflects on the entire team, but that's on a defense that's really bad. Talent-wise, offensively, yeah, you've got some really good guys on that Falcons team that we're very used to seeing do great things, but the Panthers, I mean, there's, there's some dudes on that Panthers team that are finding their way, including Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, guys who – before, maybe this wasn't a right fit. They weren't coming into their own. But ever since Robbie Anderson left the Jets, shocker, he's tied for fifth in the NFL in receptions, second in yards receiving. Um, and then DJ Moore looking great. He had two touchdowns against the Saints. So uh, Calvin Ridley, of course, you can't forget um, on the other side with Julio Jones. So there's actually some explosive talent to watch, even if maybe the records aren't as exciting. Yeah, and by the way, I think you did a, a really good job of breaking down why Anderson and Moore have, have been better than people realize. If you haven't watched Carolina offensively, they are explosive, and that's kind of a funny word to say around a team that we presumed wasn't going to be. We didn't mm. know what their weapons would look like, and they haven't had Christian McCaffrey for the majority of the season. So the fact that you know Matt Rule's been able to bring a little bit and Joe Brady, the passing uh, coordinator from LSU, comes over as the offensive coordinator, they've been able to bring explosiveness to the offense in big plays and junkyard. So you're right. I think both of these defenses are trash. So it's going to be it's video game football. It's going to be fun to watch. If you're going to watch a bad football game, I would err on the side of explosive offenses and trash defenses. So Amen. we're good. And again, Thursday night football because you got no other options. It's, perfect. <laughs> uh, it's Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance coming up. We're going to get back into Tony La Russa as well as the latest on the Justin Turner investigation with someone who knows all the details, the timeline on the tests, the protocols and the precedents for a suspension or something else coming the way of Turner and the Dodgers. It's all coming up next on ESPN Radio. Look, you were just hearing a little bit of Tony La Russa as we try and uh, break down the surprising hire to many today uh, by the White Sox of their new manager. So to get some thoughts on it, we're going to head over to the Shell Benzo Performance Line, where we are joined by ESPN Major League Baseball insider Jeff Passan. Jeff, let's start with a very basic here. What was your initial reaction to the news today that Tony La Russa is taking over the helm for the White Sox? Uh, I got to be honest, it wasn't any surprise. I mean, uh, this has been percolating for the last couple of days because it turns out it was agreed upon a little bit earlier this week. And uh, I, while I'm not surprised it happened, I'm surprised it happened, like on a much more macro level. Um, and man, Sarah, did you set a record for number of points for the first answer on the show on Around the Horn today? I might have. I might have. Yeah, 35 after round one is a good number. Good number. I mean, I mean, your point total was bigger than Reality's hair. Like it was unbelievable. <laughs> And uh, and you here's yeah. the thing you you hit you hit on a lot you hit on a lot of really good points um, the the one and and I don't even think you missed this necessarily but 
but it's one I'm going to be talking about tonight in a column, and I think it's kind of an astute point that four years later, after Tony LaRusso originally came out on Dan Levitard's show saying he questions the sincerity of Colin Kaepernick, saying that baseball isn't a white man's game, what does it say that a 76-year-old who hasn't managed in nine years is being mm-hmm. hired by one of his old white men club friends? Yeah, absolutely. What other of the 29 teams, if they had a managerial opening, would say, you know what, I'm going to go get me Tony La Russa. The answer is zero. Yeah. And, and if that right there does not illustrate to you exactly what Adam Jones was talking about four years ago and exactly why Tony La Russa is the wrong person uh, to be having these sorts of conversations, it's because he's the very person who benefits from them. And, and again, being the beneficiary of getting, not arguably, getting the most desirable managerial job this offseason, uh, a, a team that uh, can win uh, in spite of him. And, and that's the thing. If, if the White Sox win, uh, Tony Lewis is going to get credit in, in the same fashion that Dusty Baker is getting it for, for the Astros winning. Uh, I, think, I think you could put uh, any of us. Now, nah, I take that back. I think you could put Sarah in charge of the White Sox and they would win because they would, re- they would respect you. They'd Thank run you. all over me and fit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you, us. I mean, you would like, you would kick their ass. I mean, I would like, put the fire in, into their butts just like I did on around the horn today. They wouldn't I'm, even let me get their Starbucks order. Go ahead, sir. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, Passon, I, I will say this. He's obviously qualified, right? He's a Hall of Famer. He's the third winningest manager. He's got World Series titles. So it's not about the baseball. It's about the fit. And it's not even about the age because Joe Madden is the oldest oh, manager in baseball yeah. other than Dusty. Totally. And he is a total fit culture-wise. It's all the things that go together. And a lot of people pulling up your column from 2016 with a lead of Tony LaRusa, a convicted drunk driver who managed one of the most steroid-addled clubhouses in modern baseball history and today oversees an organization that at the trade deadline passed along to multiple organizations private medical information about a player it wanted to deal, spent Wednesday playing moralist, a role that suits him about as well as chief baseball officer for a major league franchise. That's fire. And you went off. Are we expecting the same in the column tonight? And and. Why would people assume that this isn't a political stance or a, a difference of opinion as opposed to a realistic a- approach to to this hire and why it's not a good fit? Yeah, well, it was interesting to hear him talk today. You know, he used a, a really, really curious word. Sincere uh, he, about a hundred times. Uh-huh. And you know what the mm-hmm. same word he used when he was talking about Colin Kaepernick was? Sincere. Sincerity. That yep. he wasn't sincere in it, that it was just all about him. And he said it. I said the same thing in the opening segment. It triggered me because it sounded like someone who says, I'm the one who gets to decide whether your complaints about equality in this country are real or not. Whether your feeling of being a black pe- person in a white man's sport is real or not. Whether your excitement about a bat flip is real or not. And that's why it's, that's why it's awfully interesting to me. Uh, the, the idea that the, the modern manager is has has an easier job than back in the day when you know he was picking the roster essentially and making I totally disagree with that premise. I think the manager today has it harder. I think the manager today is the spokesman for a baseball team. I think the manager today has to deal with 
uh, everything from understanding and being able to uh, talk eloquently about racial injustice uh, to mental health uh, to medicine to all of the different areas that a manager is tasked to be the spokesman in addition to the strategy, in addition to all of the numbers that end up on your desk. I mean, there are a lot of parts of being a manager in 2020 and going into 2021. And some of those Tony LaRusso has done very well in the past. Uh, some of those I question his ability to handle. And I think today some of the things he was talking about really illustrated that. So, Jeff, if you were in charge, who would you have brought in for this job instead? Uh, the guy who was on their email in the first place, A.J. Hinch. <laughs> Did you see that, Fitz? They accidentally Did used a that, silhouette of A.J. Hinch's <laughs> yeah. signature next to the picture of Tony LaRusso. I don't know who was in the graphics department. but <laughs> Whoever it was is either a magnificent troll or fired. Yeah. Or maybe or, or maybe both. Or both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jeff Passan, ESPN MLB insider with us. By the way, Buster only uh, reporting that uh, former Astros manager A.J. Hinch widely regarded as the favorite to become the next skipper for the Tigers. So we'll keep an eye on that mm-hmm. as well. We want to hit on something quickly before we let you go, though. Just have a couple more minutes. I want to talk to you about Justin Turner. Um, am I right in saying that the fact that the Marlins voted on whether to play a baseball game after positive COVID tests was our first sign that there needed to be more specific directives about punishments and results for positive tests and that's part of the reason that we ended up with the issues we had around turner but that's also not an excuse for mlb and the dodgers and turner not staying isolated i believe the storyline that the marlins voted to play is wildly blown out of proportion and that in that we probably should not be using that as a um as a baseline as to how the league responded. My, my issues with this are multifold. Number one, um, in the case of an inconclusive test, I wish there was something in the protocol that outlined what you're supposed to do and why you are supposed to do it. There have been inconclusive tests, Sarah, uh, in Major League Baseball this year where players have not been pulled from games, and they later came back uh, negative. Um, there, there were markers in Justin Turner's uh, inconclusive test in this case that suggested he might be positive. But, uh, you know, that in, in that case, you typically run it again. And the way that the protocol is written is you get a positive uh, and a person's taken out of the game. Um, I, I, uh, listen, I saw you were, you were coming with some fire that mm-hmm. night about that. And mm-hmm. I, in the case of an inconclusive test, um, I can understand why you'd want the person to be pulled from a game. I get it. The, the reality, Sarah, is that the test should have come back before yeah. game six. And, and Jeff, that, let me let me cut you I off because I want to get your – I need an answer on this then because what you're saying right there, like I just talked to Chenea Gumake and she said when the WNBA picked their bubble location, they picked partially based on proximity to being able to get test results back quickly. Did they do that for Major League Baseball when they decided where to have the World Series bubble? No, I mean the the lab has been in Utah all year. I, you know, as much as I would love to hold it at the Delta Center, I don't think we're going to be having a, a World Series in Salt Lake City this year. Um, and I, at the same time, somebody somebody asked me the question: Why would you have a testing lab in Utah when you could have one in Dallas? And that's not an unreasonable question. I think I, I think this is 
a fair answer, though, when you've run upward of 200,000 tests. And it's not like they're doing just, you know, 28 tests on players. Like, there were hundreds of people inside of the bubble who they were testing. So it was a reasonably high volume of tests that they were doing. And if you have doctors uh, who have processed this and have done a good job throughout the year, those are people you trust. And, and you want people you trust to be handling the tests at this most sensitive of time. So I get it. Uh, it's not ideal, but uh, would you rather have someone, and, and this isn't a rhetorical question. I'm genuinely curious. Would you rather have someone you FedEx it to who you trust or someone nearby who you don't know? Yeah. Uh, Pass we're out of time. I want to ask you quickly, um, what do you think is, is the likely punishment here? I don't think there's going to be anything beyond a fine. They may try to really? suspend him, but mm. yeah, I, I just, I think it's for two reasons and I'll try to be quick. One, um, there, there's no precedent and MLB tends to suspend based on precedent. Um, and, and two, let's say you suspend and it gets reduced and the precedent is really small. Doesn't that incentivize players in the future who might have been fearful of greater punishments than to go and break protocol because they know that the discipline is not going to be that bad? Right. That's a good question, Jeff. We appreciate your time. We're up against it. we got to let you go, my friend. Thanks so much for the insight and expertise. Stay safe. See, see you, guys. Jeff Hassan, yeah. ESPN Major League Baseball insider. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Pennzoil synthetic motor oils are made from natural gas, gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil based on sequence 4A wear test using SAE 5W30. Jeff just gave us a lot. We're going to react to it, and we'll do that next on Spain and Fitz. So, Sarah, before we get into any of this, I want you, uh, just for anyone that wasn't listening, this is when we asked Jeff about punishment. This is what happened. Uh, I don't think there's going to be anything beyond a fine. They may try to really? defend him, but... Yeah, I, I just uh, I think it's for two reasons, and I'll try to be quick. One, um, there there's no precedent, and MLB tends to suspend based on precedent. Um, and and two, let's say you suspend, and it gets reduced, and the precedent is really small. Doesn't that incentivize players in the future who might have been fearful of greater punishments than to go and break protocol? So I disagree, and we're going to grab some sound here of someone else at the company who disagrees as well. But one thing I'll say is that, fits if you make an appropriate punishment that is severe enough to reflect the actions of Turner, then people aren't going to see it and think, oh, I don't care. They're going to see it and think, holy bleep. And I don't know why the assumption is that it wouldn't be enough and that it would be pleaded down. You don't. I, I'm trying to remember um, who I heard it from. I think it was Buster Olney. Um, who said he will likely be suspended, and not only that, he will he will um, he will likely be treated sort of the same way as the player we saw last year making uh, offensive gestures. Here's Buster. There's no precedent, of course, for any of this. There was an understanding when Major League Baseball and the Player Association came to an agreement on the health and safety protocol that uh, personnel players who would not fall in line with the health and safety protocol could face discipline. That was never really tested. Major League Baseball, I think, will wind up suspending him along the lines of what we saw with Yuli Gurriel with that racist gesture during the 2017 World Series. You know, a, a suspension of four or five games, more to make a statement uh, about how they felt about it um, than to actually, you know, to take him off the field for a month or two months or anything like that. So 
I, I just think I don't know that there's actual language that says if you make an offensive racist gesture, this is the amount. So baseball has the uh, the right to to put into place a, a punishment for something like this without needing it written down. And I think it needs to be significantly more than that. 25, 30, 40 games, like a ton of games fits because this was beyond anything. This this was choosing and knowing that you are carrying a contagious disease that's potentially deadly and you're ignoring all the protocols. This is an entire this is like middle finger to the 80 pages or whatever of of protocols they put in place. This is middle finger to we made it through an entire season trying our best to avoid this is middle finger to anybody else's health and safety. Like this needs to be punished so severely that people are taken aback by it. I, I don't disagree with any of that. And look, once you know, for anyone that says, well, he was already on the field and the damage was already done. Once you know, things change. And that's just the truth. And I said it but yesterday. Also, if they'd already been exposed, an increased viral load can increase how bad your infection is and how sick you get. More time with him can make the illness worse for people exposed. There were also girlfriends, wives, pregnant people, media, staff members, security, other teams that had not been near him and had been promised a situation in which they would be safe. He knew that he was unsafe, and he violated that, which is very different than simply testing positive and being removed. He knew it, and he went back out there, and any of that further exposure could have very seriously affected how sick and how exposed everybody else could get it it's a little like uh, i know this is a strange analogy for sports radio but i will say this sarah uh if you sleep with somebody and you have an std you're not going to go to jail for it if you knowingly sleep with somebody mm-hmm. and you have an std you will like th- yeah. there is a you if you know what you have and you give it to somebody you can go to jail for it like that is the difference and i know that's a really uncomfortable analogy but that's what i feel like i'm seeing here is the minute you know you know and and i'll go back to the punishment and this is what i've been saying with you for for a week now i mean until a league whatever league it is comes in and just absolutely lays down the hammer and makes everybody say what until we're all in shock to what a league does What's the that's what's the reason to not do it? I mean, well, how what, about how about Lou Williams? Right, he missed two full games and had to spend a ten day quarantine without even testing positive, just because he did not get an approved absence to go to a strip club. Yeah, well, or, right? or or you've got you know players in the NBA. I, I can't remember which one it was that he just crossed the line with his foot on getting food delivery. Daniel and so, House Jr. Thank you. So home. like violated campus health and safety member because he brought that woman in. You know, there was a woman in his room. Sent home. That was it. You're gone. And, and that to me, now you're talking. Like now we're saying, okay, we've got protocols here and they will be followed whether you like it or not. And, you know, that, that again, that's the hardest part for me is that if there is no punishment, then what the hell is going to keep somebody from doing it next year? I mean, to Jeff's point that he doesn't think, Jeff Hassan, I'm referencing, if, if Jeff doesn't think there's going to be punishment because there's no precedent for it, well, that feels like the same cowardly approach that was taken to the entire process of what the Astros went through afterwards. Yeah. I mean, it's the same well, thing. The only question- the question would be, there is a lot of power in the MLBPA. The question would be, is it possible to punish for something without being able to point to something that's written down, right? Mm-hmm. You would imagine, because it's a weird, strange year, and MLB essentially forced this season on the players. Remember, they did not come to a deal. It was within their right to force what they wanted. Um, but but I, 
I, I think it would be really difficult for the MLBPA to put up an argument that some sort of arbitrator would decide was valid to defend Justin Turner's actions and to say that he couldn't be punished for what he did when it was explicitly stated that you're, you're supposed to be isolated and separated. And Sarah, that feels again like when we talked about the Astros and one of the conversations was that Rob Manfred couldn't go too over the top because the Players Association would turn around and fight mm-hmm. it. Well, okay, fine. Make them fight it. I mean, yeah. make it such make a, a fight. Like, make every player in the league because this is uh, one of my buddies that played in the league for a long time always said the thing that irritated him the most is that part of his paycheck always went to defend cheaters make everybody across the board start paying because they do out of their own pockets to defend these cases as a union now you're talking you are creating some level of at least standards and practices and expectation make that happen and then make them be the bad guy that comes out and says hey you know we're we're we're, we don't think this is appropriate i mean i just want to see major league baseball stand up with some gumption And, you know, I want to quickly say I heard Pedro Gomez say on the Max Kellerman show that Justin Turner took the pandemic seriously before the World Series, that after they saw some of the outbreaks, he said to his team, we got to take this seriously if we want to make it through the long haul and compete. That's taking seriously the idea of competing and making your money and winning. That's not taking seriously the disease. And anybody who was taking it seriously would have already decided how they felt about it to the point where they got that positive test and said, I'm not going near anybody. I know how serious this is. He had clearly already not taken it seriously if he was willing to go back out there. And again, they were still on the field. They were still part of Major League Baseball in that moment. I mean, this has gone as wrong as possible. I don't care how anyone wants to defend it. Coming up next, bunch of NBA news. We're going to get expertise from one of our favorites to break it all down. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and uh, all of our guests join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Obviously, you guys can hang out with us on the Spain and Fitz Nation. You can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. And I got to say, a little bit of a, a shout-out here from the Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, and it comes from Crispus Atticus, who said mm-hmm. to Sarah, I saw you on Around the Horn today, all I got to say, and then gave us a little Wayne and Garth. And this gets mentioned a yes. couple of reasons we could use the positivity oh, and Garth, we're not worthy and sarah and i are big snl fans so bam that's how you get no- noticed on the dr pepper Nailed twitter it. feed so you can keep hitting us up there in the meantime let's head over to the show benzo performance line bobby marks joins us espn nba front office insider so much to get to bobby thanks for the time i hope you and yours are safe most importantly let's start with the start of the season, as that seems to be a contentious conversation of when the season will start. Uh, what would your suggestion be if the league asked you? Well, I mean, I, I think from looking big picture financially, it's to get this thing sooner rather than later. And that would mean starting on the 22nd and, you know, having these Christmas Day games and trying to get this normal basketball calendar back to, you know, that July to June schedule like we've seen in the past, just because as you guys know, as you guys know, the financial ramifications are just enormous. I mean, I know it came out that it would be a $500 million difference by starting on Christmas. I actually think it's more, I think it's probably between seven fifty and $800 million here. So I understand the concern from the players, especially the players on the Lakers and players on the heat and probably Denver and Boston. So that's four teams, but on the other end, there's, eight that haven't played since mid-March. <laughs> There's a bunch that were eliminated in mid-August and another handful that were done in, on September 1st here. So it impacts four teams. So for me, it would be to let's get, let this get, let's get going. And, um, you know, with a shortened season, of course, and, um, but we'll see tomorrow's a big day just because of that opt-out date with uh, the CBA and 
hopefully we get some movement here because time is running out here to get a December 22nd start when we look at um, free agency, the draft. I mean, the draft's really the only thing we know right now and everything is kind of up in the air. Yeah, Bobby, I mean, I think obviously the money is a big part of it, especially for players that aren't as wealthy, that don't want to lose out on their percentage of that and have, um, you know, salary cap and everything affected. But I would say it's not just the couple players who are tired and need a break. It's probably opt-outs as they get ready to play in what wouldn't be a bubble at the height of the pandemic, at middle of winter. It's, uh, you know, the short turnaround for both free agency and training, right? So they'd have to immediately get going. Christmas away from families, for many who've been away from family for a long time. Like, it feels like there's a lot of reasons that are sort of influencing the desire to potentially push it back to Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I mean, how influential is that money? If there are plenty of reasons on one side and the other side is really just that cash, um, where's the influence most? At the top levels with the LeBrons and the most wealthy or the majority of players? No, it's a great question, Sarah. And I think, yeah, I mean, we, we, I talked about the financial, but there is also another, there's the human element of it all, right? I mean, especially where, you know, guys have, as I said, just got done playing. We've got this pandemic that I think it's a lot worse than where it was back mm-hmm. in mid-March. And we're expecting these guys to get back. And we're, we're going to take them out of this bubble now, right? Yeah. We're going to ask them to travel to get some type of normalcy, to get on a plane. I know it's charter, but going city to city here um, and, and, to play, and to play 72 games in 127 days. I mean, in a normal year, it's 82 games in 177 days. So you're probably looking at more back-to-backs here. Maybe there's more four and five nights. So it's almost like we're trying to spoon-feed a lot of different things in here within that short, that, that short window. And it will be interesting because how much of a – how much of a say does some maybe some of these international players have in this? Because, you know, starting late takes away the Olympics for probably mostly all of these players. Um, so that's another interesting component here. But I think as the days go by, I think it's probably a little bit, we're looking more unrealistic that December 22nd is going to be um, a possibility here, unless there's going to be significant give back to the, to the players. But as you said, they've, they've, these guys have made a lot of money here. So I don't know what the financial con, um, concession is going to be here. And if you're LeBron or, you know, Jimmy Butler, who just played until October 11th, um, you're probably more, more looking at, you know, mid getting us going in mid January. We're talking to ESPN NBA front office insider, Bobby Marks on Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. So Bobby, I mean, I just said front office insider. I got to get a front office insider thoughts on what's now going on in Philadelphia as Daryl Morey comes over from Houston. He's now the president of basketball operations. But this is an organization that still has Elton Brand as a GM, and they have a coach uh, that has had some personnel uh, decision in his background too. So how do you make three cooks work in one kitchen? (laughs) Yeah, I would say that is a front office that is uh, top-heavy, and you can throw – yeah, certainly with Doc having – personnel uh, control in, in, in the Clippers up until the last couple, couple of years. And um, at there, everyone's going to have to probably put their egos to a side and, and figure it out for the, for the betterment of the team. I know that sounds uh, cliche here, but when you look at what that roster is, and we've talked about it as probably what you inherit, you know, Daryl's made a lot of trades in Houston, but some of those pieces are not going to be easy to move. If, they, if that's the goal, when you're looking at Tobias Harris and what's owed on his contract and certainly with, um, with Al Horford here. Um, so I think you're looking probably more, of, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a trial and error in the beginning here and see what works and what doesn't work here. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating component because 10 days ago, we didn't think Daryl Morey to, to Philly was a possibility because he was still in, in Houston. And now you've got Doc Rivers there and 
you know, certainly Elton Brand, that's going to be another interesting part of it as far as how does he fit in. We're talking to Bobby Marks here on Spain and Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast to get all the goodness from the show and some exclusive content you can't get on our regular show. Bobby, um, I'm, I'm curious about uh, Silas and, and the hire. 20 years as an assistant, obviously a sort of lifer in the sport. Um, what do we know about him and why this is the first time he's getting that, that look as a, as, a, as a head coach? Yeah, and I'm happy for him. I really am. And I, I said this about... I don't know, two weeks ago when we were starting to see some of the, the the names we see all the time. And it's like, I was joking with a team and I said, like, once you become a head coach, it's like you get that membership card, right? Like mm. you're good for life. Like You can get three more jobs out of it. And I said, it's okay to go out and hire assistant coaches. Like we've seen a, a track record, you know, certainly in Brooklyn with Kenny Atkinson and Nick Nurse in Toronto, like these guys have paid their dues and Steven Silas has done that. I mean, I think what you saw in, in Dallas, you know, the past uh, couple of years, as far as what he was able to do with certainly with Luca uh, and how that offense, um, you know, was able to run here. And um, so I'm happy for him. It's going to be interesting though, because as, as we talked about, you know, with, with the Philly component, you are basically inheriting a roster that was built for Mike D'Antoni and all these players, you know, with Russ and James and Robert Covington, PJ Tucker, um, Eric Gordon, you know, they're, this is going to be back. You know, they're not, there's not much flexibility as far as to move some of those, those pieces here. So uh, I am excited for, for Steven because he has certainly paid his dues and, and he's certainly deserving. Uh, real quick before we let you go, Stephen A throughout the possibility that, uh, you know, they try and pull off some sort of magical trade that sends Harden to the 76ers. Do you believe when the season starts, Houston will have their same stars in place? Yes, but don't quote me and say that when we get to the end of the season. <laughs> I, I want to. I think from a year from now, uh, Jason, that we're going to look at a different Houston team. But for the start of the season, I think that roster is in, in place. But I think when we get going for 2021-22, I think you might see some different players on that in that Houston team and I think it probably starts with James Harden you guys uh, always check him out on Twitter Bobby Marks Bobby we appreciate your time thank you so much for joining us my friend thanks appreciate it ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Marks ESPN radio presented by Progressive Insurance drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average we've been getting into everything but it is Thursday night football the game's about to kick off so we figured we'd have a little bit of fun maybe put it on the poll who's the best team in the NFL right now we'll answer that question next on Spain and Fitz it is that time of year, sir. We're, we're at about the halfway point, right? So now we can start to look at it and say, okay, who's good, who's not, who stinks, who might be really good. And that leads to a question because it feels like, uh, you know, that, that everybody is, in my mind, overhyping the result every single week of every single thing that happens. So with that being said, uh, there's an article out on ESPN Plus and uh, the Football Outsiders guys took a look at it and they tried to figure out uh, who the best team in the NFL is. So uh, I will ask you at this point, who do you think the best team in the league is? I think it's the Chiefs. Now, I understand the argument for Aaron Schatz and he says it's the Bucks, And he says by a mile. They are a very balanced team. They are a very complete team and not surprisingly a little bit more time together with the weapons, with the excellent defense, which is according to DVOA, the best defense in football. This team is coming into its own in ways that I think a lot of us expected. We weren't sure what Tom Brady and Gronk would look like with a new, with a new coach and a new system. But once they had the time to click, it looks great. Um, the, The reason that I say the chiefs is because when it comes down to it, I am much more trustworthy 
of a Patrick Mahomes offense and a Patrick Mahomes body and style when it comes down to a shootout type of game than I am with Brady. Because what we've seen from the teams who were able to beat the Bucs, including my Chicago Bears, is getting to the quarterback. The Bears can pressure you with four. They don't even have to blitz. They pressured him more than he had been pressured on drop back since 2017, and they really showed how uncomfortable they could make him. Now, the Bucs killed themselves with penalties against the Bears and still only lost by a point, but they only put up 19 points, and that's an offense with a ton of weapons. The Bears showed you how to do it. Now, the Bucs are going to figure out how to counteract that and, and you know, adding Antonio Brown and, and, and having even more weapons for Tom Brady to go to is going to only make them better. But the, the, the balance of the Bucks to me, doesn't outweigh my belief that if you game plan for them the hardest you can, the Chiefs are going to find a way to still win. I don't know about the Bucks if you game plan to make Brady uh, really uncomfortable. I think you're so right when it comes to the ability to, build, to beat you a million different ways and the ability for Kansas City, who I don't think gets enough credit for how many stars they have on the defensive side of the ball and how well they can play. Uh, I also look at the Bucks and look at some where some of their success came from this season. They beat up on a Broncos team that has one of the 10 worst uh, offenses in the league. They beat up on a Chargers team that uh, at the time particularly had a meh, offense. Uh, they they did manage to uh, hold the Bears to 20 points, but that Bears offense, not particularly great. Uh, they beat a Raiders team that uh, was decimated offensively and has a terrible defense. Like I'm looking at all of these things and saying, yes, if we were going to go to the college football metric of the eye test, the Buccaneers defense looks very good and their offense looks like it's clicking on all cylinders. I'm just not sure that they've really played that many good teams. They have a quality win against the Packers. I will give them that all day long, but uh, I'm not sure that that outweighs the fact that they've just frankly beat up on some bad football teams along the way. So, you know, for me, I, I need to see more from the Bucks before I'm going to give that any presumption that it's better than the Chiefs, because no matter what the Chiefs have done this year, this is a Chiefs team that's returning basically everybody from last year. So we do have a larger group study of what the Chiefs look like. There's more proof of concept there, so I'm still going to put Kansas City at the top as well. I'm going to put up a poll here. Uh, I'm going to say Chiefs, Steelers, Bucks, other. Are we good with those options? Is there anyone else that you think would be a better choice than the Chiefs, Steelers, or Bucks? No, I think we. I, th- I think you're hitting it there. I mean, you're going to get Twitter hate from AFC fans that think that the Ravens should have been in there, right. but I, I'm with you. I think that. I think I mean, the Jets is, go in. I think yeah, they do. Yeah. We'll get to the Jets and how good of a team they are a little bit later in the show. The Jets take none of you knew you needed, but you're going to get anyway. It's coming up a little later. I think we're safe keeping them out of this portion of the show. Now, Fitz, interestingly, so DVOA, the defense adjusted value over average, um, is a a stat that, like, the big impressive analytics people use instead of the eye test or instead of just regular defensive or offensive rankings. But essentially it tells you um, how good a team is above the average team, and it uses the situation. So let's say there's a two-yard run, and that's all they needed to get into the end zone. It adjusts for that because it was the context of that situation versus using it as a part of a statistic about how many how many yards they get per rush and everything else, right? So it's an entire season play-by-play success on each play compared to the league average using a whole bunch of variables. It gets very specific. Using that metric, though, which a lot of people respect as the most accurate, the Bucks are number one by a large margin to the point where the gap between them and the Ravens, which is second in DVOA, is equal to the gap between the Ravens and the number seven team, the Rams. That's how much more 
the Bucks are ahead of the number two team is is from two to seven. And so those numbers are ones where you start to think, okay, when you take away some of those beginning struggles, this is a team that's really putting it together. So analytics wise, I understand why uh, you know Aaron Schatz is arguing this, but for me, there is that element of still trusting a team that doesn't have a 43-year-old quarterback looking to get pressured. Yeah, (laughs) a 43-year-old quarterback that, you know, a week and a half ago or two weeks ago, we were questioning, you know, whether or not he knew what down it was and all of this. Right, right, right. I forgot about the uh, dementia at play here. Right. I mean, it's like he totally passed his prime, can no longer play. Wait, no, they're the best team in the league. And that's unfortunately, I think one of the things that makes 2020 particularly difficult is that it has felt like such a week-to-week league. I know everybody says the NFL is every week, but uh, this year has been very drastic in the fact that teams have looked good one week terrible the next and then you know we we as a uh, as a collective with fans and media together have seemed to overreact to so much of it that it's hard to find what's real in the process of it now I will say that one thing that has surprised me and that I was very wrong about is I thought the NFC was going to be incredibly stacked this year and that's turned out frankly not to be the case I mean if I'm going to hold the Buccaneers to the eye test conversation then I have to hold that standard to the rest of the conference and let's be real the Saints haven't they haven't looked good right so you know I was wrong about the Saints and I'll admit that you know I was wrong about the Falcons I was wrong about most of the NFC East so you know while I will say that the eye test doesn't tell me that the Buccaneers are the best team in football I can't see the argument that they're the best team in the NFC because so much of the rest of the NFC has not looked as good as I thought it would yeah the Seahawks are a team that you know you could throw them out there against the Bucks and they might win four out of five games despite having a, a, a really really porous defense that could kill them in the long run. But because of football and the way the ball bounces um, and the way plays can happen, like they have such a dominant offense that you could still see them win a game against a team that has a much better defense than the Bucks. The Seahawks are still a great team. To me, I still hold them up pretty high, even acknowledging that they're nowhere near as balanced and complete as the Bucks are. Um, I'm very curious to see when you add Antonio Brown into the mix what that means for the Bucks because there's a possibility that it disrupts things, that it's not a good move, and there's also a possibility that he comes in still an incredibly skilled player that was on a clear path to the Hall of Fame just a couple years into his career before things started to fall apart. You're so right. And, you know, the one thing about the Seahawks that really stands out to me defensively is, yes, they're bad. But it's funny. I was talking to uh, my buddies at 1025 The Game in Nashville, and the question I was asked is, are the Titans a legitimate Super Bowl contender? My response to that was, why not? And uh, Floyd Reese, you know, former Titans GM, said, even with that defense – and I think the thing for me is we get so consumed with why defense matters. But this year particularly, the metrics and stats and analytics all show you that this is one of the worst years we've ever seen across the entire league for defense. So while I do believe at some point that'll normalize by by the end of the season, I'm hopeful that we'll actually see some defense. The NFL feels a lot like the Big 12. It's sort of a defense optional league right now. So I think it's why I'm willing to forgive teams that have a, bit, a, a bad defense because if you can score points, that's going to be enough this season. Yeah, and I think there's a good argument. We haven't talked about them enough. The Steelers, the last undefeated team in the league, because of the fact that they have an offense that can win despite losing the turnover battle three to nothing, right? Like they found a way to win even when the metrics say that they absolutely shouldn't. And so you can't overlook that when it comes to actual game time versus statistics time. Which is why this Steelers-Ravens matchup is going to be so intriguing over the course of the weekend. I just put up the poll, by the way, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz. We'll see where it goes from there. Coming up next, we'll get some reaction to the controversial hire by the Chicago White Sox on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Former member of Spain and Company, 
working over at NBC Sports Chicago. Jason Goff, one of the biggest White Sox supporters I know, and the <laughs> first person we had to go to to find out just how excited you are for the new hire of Tony Larusa. You know what's crazy is you don't call over the summer to make sure everything is good. It's a know, pandemic, Fitz, man. Fitz, no, don't, no, it, it doesn't touch your texting fingers. <laughs> Fitz, is, Fitz, is, Fitz is checked in on, unless that's the new thing that we're learning from the CDC and WHO that that if you if you text, you are at a, at a larger risk to catching corona these days. But Fitz checks in on me like once a month, like, hey, how you doing? Like Fitz is the good ex, you know what I mean? Man. Like he. And you, you just, yeah, you just moved on and, and, and never really looked back. But no, I'm yeah. okay. I'm okay. Uh, I was okay until about, what, like 1.30 today, yeah. Chicago time. Uh, this is, this is not cool. And I don't know the nice way to put it. And I know I haven't been on the show in a while, so I got I to gotta get my stash filter back in where, <laughs> where I don't say, you know what I mean? I don't say the wrong things, but this is just, it doesn't feel cool. <clears throat> and all this Chicago White Sox thing for the last three years building up to this, we were getting ready for the cool. And you saw a little dash of the cool mm-hmm. this year. And from, from a, a couple of different levels, let's just start on the baseball side of things. Uh, the, the, the pushback that this man has been documented uh, as far as not being all on board with the analytics movement or you know the metrics movement. Um, and then what he has been, or what he's shown us as far as the celebratory nature that baseball has, is, is turning the corner on, he's not about that life. And the judgment that came down when Paul Sullivan asked him the question about, you know, celebrating and, well, how do you feel about it? And he pretty much said, you know, if it's, if it's sincere, then, then, then I'm with it. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. How many times do we see people? And he also mentioned something along those lines about if, if protest is sincere, then he's with it. How many times do we see people clapping or rah-rahing it up and you look at them and go, was that a sincere clap? So what he's saying that is. that flip was sincere. It didn't exactly. Come the heart. Sarah, it's so whack. Like mm-hmm. this, this is a sport that's trying to get young athletes involved. And on many levels, from a baseball level, not, we don't even have to touch on, but we can. The Adam Jones thoughts that he's had about what this sport is and isn't. Uh, the mm-hmm. Ka- Colin Kaepernick thoughts that he's had. And for everybody who's carrying water. Uh, saying that this was 2016. No, this was February. He reiterated. He doubled down. So unless he's changed a lot in, what, nine months? Then this changed is about man- an hour and a half ago. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, Four and a half hours ago, right before that press conference. was like, hey, a right. couple things quickly. <laughs> right. And this now this is a man who is going to be in a locker room with – you know, one of the more joyful young players in all of baseball, and Eloy Jimenez, who he's confident he rides that wave. Tim Anderson is the AL batting champ and, and, and going to get MVP votes this year. This is a dude who un, un, unafraid and, and, and unapologetically has said, this is how I play baseball because this is how I'm not bored playing baseball. And there's a whole group of young black kids who are watching him in this city who are like, yo, Jackie Robinson West on the South Side is not just the team that four years ago took the nation by storm. It's a it's an organization that is going to feed feed kids into uh, the the RBI programs and the double duty Radcliffe program that that Clinton Yates actually coming came and covered this summer. Like mm-hmm. all those things for this organization to be a part of all those things in this city for young black baseball, youth baseball, 
baseball period, like the new generation and progressive movement that's happening in baseball where you're getting the athletes who don't have to just go to ba- uh, basketball and football, it's just this, 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 is, this seems like counterproductive to me. And, and, and the fact that A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora, two guys who were, uh, you know, embroiled in turmoil for the last year or so, the fact that the fan base was like, hey, give us the two guys who might be cheating <laughs> instead of the dude who has won World Series, that just lets you know where this thing is at. Like, it's, it seems like a step back, and I've been championing this club for the last three years, and I, I promise you, Sarah, I feel like I got kicked out the club today because it's going to be hard for me because we, you know, as Sox fans, we, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're the, we're the, we're the little stepchildren of, of this baseball city. And the moment we catch a wave, it's time to ride it because you never know how long. It's, 05 was a long time ago. And on top of it, we've kind of really been the team that's like, oh, there's some wild stuff going on over there with that Cubs ownership group. But, but that's not us. And now you, you bring in Tony La Russa, who is diametrically opposed to seemingly everything that you had going now. He can go on and win 100 games next year. They can win the World Series. I'm still rooting for the people in that organization and Tim Anderson and some other people. It just it doesn't feel like a move that White Sox fans wanted. Uh, well, the Sox fans that I've talked to, it just, it just doesn't feel comfortable. It just doesn't feel like the, the next thing in a, in a really, really cool wave that was getting ready to happen because Rick Hahn was allowed to do it the right way. So, Golf, let me ask you, you know, walk me through the process now. You mentioned some of the young players and some of the dynamic players the organization has. Yeah. They're now going to have to essentially defend this hire for somebody that they don't know from Adam. So right. what's that process like for them? Because they're going to have to answer these questions in the next few days. I mean, everything's going to be, you know, first date representative type vibes where it's like, yeah, that's my manager and we're going to go at it. We got big plans. The White Sox fans should still be enthused about this young talent, right? Like Lucas Giolito is is a star. Uh, Tim Anderson is a star. Jose Abreu is a star. Yoan Moncada fought COVID this year. We didn't see Yoan Moncada for real. Like this, this team is is flippant and 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 brash because they bash your head in and we as Sox fans knew that this was going to be the case and might still be the case for the next five six years what we didn't see happening is that there would be a manager that would come in here who like I said is just not on the same vibes as this team stated it was on in terms of their mission statement and how they were going to rebuild so if you're Tim Anderson and Yoan, you gotta you gotta say, hey, this is my manager, we riding. But I, I can't wait to see the first time that there's there's a little bit of trepidation, there's a little bit of adversity, whatever the case may be. This is a 76 year old manager managing, you know, guys in their early 20s, and it's not just because of the age; it's because of the things that he is on record for right. saying that culture. are against There's it. plenty yeah, of older dudes yeah. that still have that connection. Interestingly. For sure. Two of the White Sox were alive the last time Tony LaRusso was managing their team in 1986. <laughs> Just two. I'm curious because I saw Jeff Passan post earlier today, not long after the hire was officially announced, that already there were members, uh, employees of the White Sox that were really suspicious about this hire, were feeling uneasy about how this would go. Yeah. And then, you know, with those ruffled feathers, plus, you know, Han goes out, creates this great team as GM, and what feels to me is that this is a Reinstorf fire, right? Making up for the firing back in 86. This is his guy. What do you think about the potential for serious conflict within that team at the highest levels between Han, a guy who probably wouldn't want this hire, and then ownership? I mean, if he wasn't down for it, the moment an owner says, you got to do this or else, you got two two choices to make, right? Yeah. And one of them is not being that guy anymore. Um, and everybody's, you know, we're in a pandemic, man. I'm not expecting anybody to walk away from their gig or 
but I mean, even the email that the the Sox sent out to a lot of uh, season ticket holders had Tony Russo's name and his picture, but underneath his name, the signature was AJ Hinch's. So Daisy. Yeah, there were some people who thought that this was a done deal, uh, and. You know, now the reports are that they may have not interviewed formally with A.J. Hinch. Yeah, whatever. If if you signed a deal with your owner saying that, hey, we can open up the, the, the purse strings here. You j- I just got to have my guy chauffeur in the limo. Then that's something that you just got to got to eat and hope that you win a championship because of it. And I'm not saying that's the case. But whenever something like this happens, because this is the same guy who in 2008, I won't, I won't say the same guy, Jerry Reinsdorf in 2008, Del Collins was rumored to have been the, the next Bulls head coach. And he came out and said, hey, I would hate to have to fire a, such a good friend. Now, Doug Collins ended up working for the organization. But if firing your friends is, the, is an issue, hiring one where it is not going to be universally accepted shouldn't be one. Yeah. It's unfortunate, well, that's all. I mean, it, and it, I hope he wins. I hope he wins. Like, I, Yeah, that's you know, the problem is, like, you, you don't want to be right. right. You want your team to do well, but it's, a, it's an odd choice. It's just, if you were to ask me right now who's more important, uh, Tim Anderson, Eloy Jimenez, Yoan Moncada, I'm not saying it's one or the other, or Tony La Russa, I know which, which entity I'm going with. It's the group of the young players who are, mm-hmm. you know, cost-controlled and having excellent starts to their career. I, I'm going to go with those guys. And the moment this thing – Starts to grind a little bit or bristles a little bit. It, like Rick Renteria had his flaws, but Rick Renteria is a, was a guy who was tapped in uh, to his team. This is a guy who you know how you know how many players are on record of saying like, yeah, I really don't rock with Tony Russo, yeah. former. I mean, like this is yeah. this is a well, this and is it's a an interesting here. choice too because managers used to be about a lot of the analytics and the the culture within the dugout, and now there's there's other people for the analytics. So your manager is really about uniting the locker room. And the culture and, and inspiring and motivating dudes. So it's it's a weird choice for that. I hope it happens. Uh, As a Sox golf, fan, I hope it happens. Thanks for hanging out. I um, appreciate you. You know, I'll text you, maybe. I'll see, I'll see what's up. Oh, you, you know, know I'll text you, Goff. I know. You, you know <laughs> hey, listen, Fitz. We, we already know the Spain and Fitz power rankings, who's one and two, and you ain't two, Listen, player. there are Woo! a lot of X's in my life. Spain and company, there are a lot of dudes to keep up with. You Leaving know? a lot of people in your wake. A lot of good yeah. people here. I do, so I do. At I do, some I do. point, you got to wake up and Sometimes know that, you know. Sometimes they come back around, though. Sometimes yeah, but like, Fitz, uh-huh. Fitz is back around. See, see, second timer. Second timer. Hey, Fitz, me and Spain have had deep conversations about my personal life. Let me know. Let you know how that's going to work out in the long run. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Goff, appreciate the time. Love you. Be well, Jason y'all. Goff, NBC Sports man. Chicago, with us here on Spain and Fitz, giving you the straight talk, straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Another crazy busy show, which means another edition of Quickies coming up next. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. That's right. Let's get in. On some incredible sound. A Jets take you never knew you needed. Chris Jones, defensive tackle for the Chiefs, looking ahead to their matchup with the Jets and being asked, not surprisingly, could this game against this winless, pathetic, loser bunch of a team be a trap game? And here's what he said. It's a huge danger. Um, uh, If I'm correct, two years ago, um, we walked into New York Jets, and um, I think there was one in eight, one and nine, and we end up losing the game. And you can't take these games for granted. That's a very good football team. Sam Darnold, um, he doesn't get the credit, but he's a very, very good quarterback. And uh, I think people tend to forget that because of their record. But they have guys 
defense out there, and they they play really well. They've been in a lot of close games. You can't take those guys for granted. They're, they're, that's a hell of a football team. Now, Fitz, I'm going to go ahead and say the only accurate thing he said there was they have guys out there, uh, which is <laughs> there are guys out there uh, in uniform for them. Uh, they haven't played close games. The closest was this last weekend, an eight-point loss to the Bills. Uh, they aren't good. There isn't a danger. But I appreciate him making sure there was absolutely no bulletin board material for the Jets. I mean, that is just a reminder that one of the things they're obviously doing well in Kansas City is uh, teaching everybody to say all the right things every <laughs> single time. I mean, that's what you, that's all you can ask for. And and really, I've just learned that Chris Jones, future coach, because that is a level of coach speak that I thought only a head coach could give us. I mean, straight down the middle. No, you're right. No bulletin board material. I just we could have an opening. Oh, yeah. Right, just yeah. honestly, I'm really excited for the Jets that they're a good team. Yeah. That's well, that, what an exciting development for them. Yeah, Chris Jones said so many things there. He's probably going to get an interview for the head coaching job when yeah, Adam Gase is I mean, fired. So they're a good go. team. Just because they haven't won a single game doesn't mean they're not a good team. Yeah. Just or ask the Falcons. Does it? Makes me a little uh, nervous to see how good they are Sunday. Yeah, you should really look out, Stash. I mean, a lot of a lot of talk about your Chiefs, but when the Jets come to town, that's really when you got to start paying attention. Uh, let's move on from the Jets. That was cute, though. They Can I just one more though? Like yeah. Vegas has got it a nineteen and a half point spread. Like I know <laughs> Vegas isn't always right, but that is an alarmingly large spread for an NFL game. Nineteen and a half. Good lord! All right, that's all. That might be a trap game for the betters, right? Because I, I <laughs> yeah. can't remember who the backup quarterback for the Chiefs is, but that might be his time to shine. And it might not be in 19 <laughs> Chad Henning. There it is, Chad Henning, yeah. Um, all right, moving on to the next quickie. Uh, the Giants have put their offensive lineman, Will Hernandez, on reserve COVID-19 list. So they have now quarantined all but four offensive linemen. So it doesn't automatically mean that Hernandez is positive that he was put on that list but it means that he was likely exposed to someone or is experiencing symptoms. So they have an unnamed player testing positive. They're now doing the contact tracing. Um, their facility is still open, but all but four offensive linemen quarantined. Yep. Uh, two coaches sent home because they were close contacts to the to the person testing positive. So that game with the Bucks on Monday night now potentially at risk. Well, and and look, this is going to be the hold my beer moment for every fan base, right? Like by the end of the year, it's going to be, oh yeah, well we had twenty seven guys on the right, like the right. Raiders. The Raiders' offensive line didn't practice all week going in, so for the second straight week, the Bucks are going to face a team whose offensive line, at the very least, won't be able to get on the field because of con contact tracing uh, during the course of the week to practice at all. So uh, that's never good when it's a team that's already not particularly great. Now you're going to get no practice going in. They got to have enough healthy linemen to play. You got to have it least eight to play the game so let's see if they get there but yeah yet again the Buccaneers seem to like I, I wonder you know if they're maybe spending sending like a, a, a secret weapon like a little a spy a friend to go in and do like naked cartwheels or something distract a team bam suddenly the whole offensive line's out 